This is a Therapy for Dads podcast. I'm your host. My name is Travis. I'm a therapist, a dad, a husband. Here at Therapy for Dads, we're reclaiming the narrative of fatherhood, one story at a time. You can follow the journey on Instagram at Therapy for Dads and our website, www.therapyfordads.com. Welcome. So Hector Marquet, you know, I think a, a great direction to go now for this part of the show, you know, we kind of brushed upon this earlier and we know that both of you are girl dads and you have strong passions and care about raising girls, you know, being her best dad ever to quote your name of your show. And, and it's such yeah. a well-titled podcast show and, and really trying to garner wisdom and yeah. experience from other men that are a little farther down the path, raising girl dads. And again, yeah. really trying to take all that knowledge and just say, how do we, how do we take all this, this, this gold yeah. and use it and distill it into something we can give to our daughters? And I think what would be a very interesting, real conversation within that more specifically would be as African-American men, as multi-ethnic men, mm -hmm. what is your experience in our current world's context raising not only kids, but specifically also raising daughters within that spectrum? Yeah, for sure. It's a great question. Um, you want to go first, Marquet? You want me to jump in? Yeah, I, I'll go first. Um, it's, it's beautiful, but it's also a challenge, you know? Um, raising black daughters in today's society. Uh, you know, I think I mentioned on our podcast, uh, my daughter, she's she's a big fan of like Disney Plus, you know, where she's seeing all of these di different Disney princesses and and she loves it, you know, but she's also trying to, I guess, reconcile or, or not even reconcile, but she sees the difference between that versus her, mm -hmm. you know, and um, the idea of, oh, daddy, like I want my hair straight or daddy, like, why is my skin color this way? Or she's defining beauty based off of what she sees there versus mm -hmm. what is reality, you know? And um, we stay in a city where it's uh, predominantly white. So a lot of her, a lot of her friends at school, you know, have the same kind of uh, texture of hair that she sees on the Disney movies. So therefore, you know, when mom does her hair, she she wants her hair straight. You know, she doesn't see the value in her having coarse hair, you know, like so yeah. conversations like that. I feel like we have and we have to be intentional about it's a daily pursuit of a uh, conversation that I, that I have to have with her that I didn't yeah. foresee coming. Um, mm. And not just that, but just the fact that their kids can be cruel. You know, yeah. I'll say that. And just a part of my journey is the conversation about just her skin tone and the fact that her skin tone is different. And, you know, she's in the second grade and there's some kids that have said some gnarly things. Hmm. Um, yeah. That's been very hurtful, you know? And so me trying to be as present as I c can be instilling in her like value. But I think that's a, that's a cultural difference between both white and back, black. Because I don't know if our, and Travis, you can speak to this, but I don't know if you guys have to have those conversations that we have to have with our daughters um, mm. just so they can walk into the world, in today's society. You know, like, I feel like we have to put on another set of armor 
onto them mm-hmm. yeah. um, just so they can feel that they can show up, you know, and uh, that's something that I'm just still navigating, still not all the way there yet. Don't have all the language to, but um, as I'm continuing this journey, like my daughter's seven years old, that's something me and Hector talk about a lot about mm-hmm. what it means to raise black daughters in today's society. Yeah. That's, that's me. Yeah. I mm-hmm. think for me um, and for Jessica, my wife, uh, like Marquez said, just intentionality, I think is huge for us. Uh, we, we tried one, one of the things we really tried to be intentional with is, you know, where we live, you know, Marquez mentioned kind of, kind of where we live. We live in the same, in the same area. And yes, it still is predominantly white, but it's more diverse than a lot of other places, you know, are. And, um, you know, there was another place, um, I won't shout it out. Just I don't want to disrespect anybody who may be from that area. But we lived in a, in another um, city for a long time, and it was it was um, not as diverse. And whatever diversity there was, the, the city was actually very segregated, and the mm. community we were a part of was was um, very white. And not that that's a bad thing in and of itself, but when you are planning to raise children something that we value is representation and mm, yeah. uh, being in, being in a place where our daughters can see people like themselves, can hear stories from mm-hmm. people that have their same skin tone, um, right. to hear, you know, the laughs of somebody with the same hair texture, um, and ultimately the feeling of not feeling othered. Mm-hmm. My wife and I also, you know, have, have felt that experience, the, the experience of, you know, of being othered, being the other person, you know, not connected to this. And we didn't want that for our daughter. So we, the way, the way we've handled it, yes, like what Marquez said, is trying to put the armor on them as they go out into a, t- a predominantly white world, but also trying to create a world where, where, where they can still see people that look like them and an experience like them. We, you know, we, we want to get those people out there. One of those examples is, you know, there's a lady um, in the community that we live who started a dance class. She's a black woman, two black daughters, and um, naturally her her um, community, other black mothers. And so there's this, you know, dance class that they have that's predominantly, you know, with all little black girls. And there's Mm. a portion of the dance class that, yes, they teach ballet, but they also teach traditional African dance. And, um, you know, just seeing those girls together, kind of having that community and camaraderie and seeing, you know, the, the, the sameness there and the, the community there, I think is really, is really special. Yeah. Hmm. The the notion of a, you said that second set of armor, so what's the first set? I mean, I don't want to answer for you, Marquet, but I, I, I resonated with what Marquet said, and I feel like the first set of armor is um, the very basic things of of humanity. You know, just in, in, in general, you know, yeah. there might be unkind things that, that people say mm. to you. In general, there might be somebody who's having a bad day, and, you know, we need to, in general, we need to treat all people with respect. You know, um, in general, mm. we need to not talk to strangers. In general, we need to be respectful. Um, mm. um, but I think as African-American families, you know, as multi-ethnic families, you know, there is that added layer of of, of circumstance, which requires a added layer of armor, so to speak. Mm. I think for the clarification. No, that makes total sense. Yeah. Yeah. Did you agree with that, Marque? Yeah, you said it great. Yeah. And I relate to that first set for sure. I mean, I think, like you said, it's I think it's just that first set as a parent of trying to protect our kids from those things and just also Mm -hmm. teaching them about understanding and but also you know, boundary healthy boundaries and and Mm -hmm. still when someone says something hurtful or or wrong or evil, it's it's still okay to 
say no to those things and but then giving them that kind of that armor at home saying but here's what we can do and yeah, yeah so i resonate with that and you, yeah. you meant asked me a question earlier my kids that you don't i've had this experience yet and i actually you know because my kids aren't in school yet it's a definitely more sh- my kids have had a more sh- i don't want to say sheltered is the right word but it more innocent experience so far mm-hmm. um because they haven't been in a school setting and gosh i mean i remember being in elementary school and you know God, kids can be, I mean, kids were nasty. I mean, kids are brutal, yeah. man. Some kids yeah, are just man. nasty. And I, yeah. I, you know, I was a chameleon kid. So I was, I tried to be friends with all the groups, but there was numerous times I was, you know, made picked on and, man. you know, pushed against the locker by bigger kids. You know, I mean, that, that happened when I was younger and, yeah. um, made, you know, nicknames and, and of, of course, I want to be very clear. My experience as a white kid was definitely not anything of, you know, it was not that but I still had my experience if I remember being picked on and kids just could be nasty and then you add that other Mm -hmm. layer you know I'm the other right on top of just being normally picked on it's like another and I I can't relate to that experience but I can imagine just the more of that of that feeling that weight would just be just a bit more heaviness um For sure, and and again, my kids haven't had that because they're they're at home. My 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 wife's stay at home, uh, full time mom, which is a full time gig, um, <laughs> to say the least, more than full time yes. gig. Yeah. And you know, she has play dates with kids, and but the, the good news is we and we've been intentional about this. I mean, one thing is that her her family's Argentinian, so mm-hmm. um, okay, my wife's family's from Ar- my wife's dad's Argent Argentine, like full blown Argentinian, you know. Yeah. So they, we got that. So we have that kind of Latin inside, and nice, you know. So um, her her brother, you know, is married uh, to you know they're kind of a multiracial, like she's Colombian, and and so their cousins do have more kind of Latin skin tone. Sure. Okay. Um, my kids, unfortunately, are not. I don't want to say unfortunately because I don't want to be, you know, negating their skin tone either. But right. Um, they look more Swedish, like Russian Swedish, because for whatever reason, sure. that's the genetics that just popped through. Right. Mm. I have no idea. Interesting thing for sure. I don't know why, but <laughs> if you look at our kids, they do not look like anything like their cousins. Yeah. yeah right. <laughs> um, but they have Latin in them, but just mm. for whatever reason, my genetics, the Swedish and the Russian on my mom's side, for whatever reason, just like powered its way through you know genetics really are an interesting thing i mean even for for our family with you know with my four girls um you know they all come from the same mom dad you know but even even within our family there is um differences you know different Mm. different Mm. curl patterns in each of my daughter's hairs even even different skin tones you know in each of my daughter's daughter's lives so that that's even an added layer i know um i'm dealing with and i know marquee's dealing with too is just even even the comparison within our own household Mm. you know um, you know, and so we're, we're trying very hard to, to affirm even within our own household. No, Sarai, you know, Eden's, Eden's hair has this curl pattern. Um, and it's special, just like your curl pattern mm. is, is special, you know, yeah. um, also trying to protect, um, our daughters from the outside pressures, even coming into our, you know, own households, you know, um, being, being intentional, even, even there to that extent. Mm. Yeah. I didn't even think about that. Like yeah. even within your own family, mm-hmm. seeing the differences, and you're right because genetics, it, it, same parents, you have very different looking children. Yeah, man. Um, yeah. And we'll see what right. our third looks like. Who knows? Maybe our third will get all the Latin Argentinian. Yeah, I don't know. <laughs> I mean, it, it, I have no idea. I mean, it could happen. So, but one thing we've been intentional about is being aware of, and and I was raised this way. You know, uh, in fact, I remember when I was younger, I, I was in a 
I was like the one white kid in a, in a kind of Catholic school in downtown Pasadena um, for a couple of years. Yeah. And that's kind of my earliest memories of schooling because it was like second and third grade. So like, I don't really remember much before second grade memory wise. Like, oh, what school was like? I have no idea. Couldn't tell you. But I remember that. And, you know, I was definitely the, you know, if I look at my class photos, Uh you know, uh it's like, there's Travis. You could tell I'm the, <laughs> I'm, the I pop, yeah, yeah, yeah. I pop out, you know, I, uh-huh. I pop and, and, um, to me it was like, I just want friends and I just wanted to play on the playground with, I, did, I just wanted nice friends. Cause there's some neat, mean kids that would pick on me from time to time. It's these twins that were just okay, not nice, but for me, it was just trying to just be f- just friends. And then I remember then when I moved, then I was at a more predominantly, predominantly white school and there was some a little multi-ethnic, but it was predominantly more white. Sure. Um, and that was most of my kind of like junior high, high school yeah. um, experience. But I did have that younger experience. And I remember that just like, okay, thinking back now, at the time, I didn't understand, you know, I wasn't thinking this way because I didn't need to. But looking back now, I'm like, okay, that was a, a unique experience for me, I guess, mm. in that sense of being in a, a different cultural mix-up from what I was predominantly in. You know, yes. being the more odd man out, I'm like, okay. And again, not that that is anything the same, but okay. I was the one kid that looked different. And mm. I think, remember, I was trying to, I think kids do this naturally is I remember I was trying to fit in. So I would often thinking back now, like I would start to talk like them just because that was what was, yeah, I guess, school culture, right? Sure. Of that yeah. class was like, right. what's my class culture? Like, yeah. That I'm trying to fit into, which is part of development, right? Kids yeah. trying mm-hmm. to find their peer group and try to fit in. And yeah, yeah. Where am I in this? And they yeah. start to mimic. So I, I remember mimicking, gosh, I hope, you know, I hope I wasn't doing anything wrong, but trying to mimic even how what they were saying and how they were talking with some of my friends because that's was the that was the thing. That was the yeah. cool thing. So I was so just trying, trying to be right at, at this school it was primarily Latinx. Pre, I think predominantly Latinx was the majority, and then it was like that's probably fifty percent. Yeah, and then yeah. you'd have Asian American, some African American, and then I was the minority. So I don't mm. know. It's probably forty, fifty percent, maybe like twenty, twenty, and ten. Yeah, for you sure. know, something like that. Um, so I think sure. I think that's a good example too, because you know, for um, you know, you're you're asking kind of the experience of being a, uh, you know a minority family, um, <clears throat> ethnic minority family, and um, I think that's that's kind of a cool thing that you touched on too. Um, or not a, not a cool thing, but um, an important thing to touch on too, is that, um, you know, in that context, you know, where there is, you know, a majority culture person who may experience um, instances where they do feel like they're the, the oddball out or the one person out. Um, I think the reality of, um, you know, of us as um, ethnic minority families is that there will definitely be those times, you know, in specific contexts, but in general, I mean, we're mm. preparing our daughters to go out into a um, predominantly white world, you know, in a, yeah. specifically in America, predominantly white nation, um, mm. and and hey, you know, this is this is our best shot of helping you to navigate those waters as a black woman in America. Um, you know, we 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 want to give them a, a fighting chance to to stand out and know their value and and you know yeah. know that they can you know, contribute to society. And, you know, that's why, you know, representation is so, so important, you know, regardless of where you are in the political spectrum, the fact that we have an African-American and Pacific Islander woman as vice president was a huge thing, you know, for our daughters to even see that, you know, Mm -hmm. Um, which Mm -hmm. is why we, any chance we get, 
tried to celebrate for our daughters, um, for them to see, hey, oh man, there's somebody that looks like us. You know, we can, we can, we we can do this. We can strive for things that maybe generations in the past couldn't see mm-hmm. as examples. Yeah, and I really resonate with what Travis said about just the idea of like uh, changing, changing even your voice so you can fit in. You yeah. know, I, I think that's a huge part of uh, something that the black community carries too, is just mm-hmm. as we're preparing our daughters to, and I'm preparing our daughters to go out into the world, even as black men, yeah. you know, fathers going into the world, mm-hmm. you know, we have to change the the, the tone of our voice to code, sound code more. Switching. Code switching. That's a yeah. huge thing mm-hmm. in today's society. Just to, just to appear more safe. You know, to the other, you know, like I'm not a predator. I'm not mm. the enemy, you know, uh, and that's something that's some, yeah, that we have to navigate. I, mean, I remember back when even, and I haven't had this conversation yet with my daughters and I know I'm going to have to one day, but just even the idea of like talking to your kids about how to, how to handle the police, you know, mm-hmm. is a huge thing that we carry a huge weight as parents that we carry. My mom had to do it to me, um, because there's just a difference of when we get pulled over versus uh ver- versus a white man that gets pulled over and that's just that's just fact you know um and it's sad yeah. um yeah statistically thank you hector yeah. uh <laughs> but it's just like those kind of weights that we carry just to prepare our families to go into the world is something that just is it's really disheartening man and 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 it's very traumatizing um, cause I know we've been talking about mental health and all of the things. Um, and it, yeah, it affects mental health, like seeing people, I know the conversation didn't go here, but I'm sorry if I'm going here, seeing people actually get murdered, um, is, is a huge, I mean, you, you, I can't even articulate what that does psychologically to us black men that deal with that. You know, I, I've been pulled over, I've been, uh, man, guns to my head and everything and, you know, it's just, man, I, yeah, I get low-key emotional even talking about it because it's just, um, I've had to sit in therapy and talk through all of that stuff mm. um, and wrestle with the, all of those things, man. And um, But it's, it's something that we have to have conversations about to just prepare. We talked about the added, the added armor to put on because, yeah, you have to be strong enough to deal with that type of stuff on a daily basis. Yeah. Mm. W.E.B. Du Bois calls it um, the dual consciousness. And, you know, the idea of viewing, viewing yourself um, just as a person, but then the dual consciousness, viewing also yourself from a third perspective, from, from majority culture, and um, which, is, which is, you know, how we code switch so easily. And I want to be sensitive to it, too, you know, understanding that skin tone plays such a huge part in it, you know, and not, not for a second, you know, putting, putting myself, you know, in the, in the same area. <laughs> hopefully i don't know if this is okay ending on the episode but one of my daughters is uh alexiing uh, for, with alexa trying to message me and say daddy but the no uh, it's, it's no it's totally fine by the way my often I, he has it but my often my youngest son ends up joining the podcast at one point because it's you yeah. know, middle of a conversation <laughs> yeah. and he's like i'm up it's you and know this is you know kind of like a dad podcast it would be horrible yeah. to be like go to bed we can't yeah <laughs> can't be on here don't talk i don't have children they don't do anything i don't have to work they're perfect no it's like it's real it's real it's like hey that's what kids do and wait and she's up early yeah but uh, yeah 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 i think i think she's she's fine but anyway just just to finish my thought too like um kind of kind of uh 
also also calling out too and recognizing that you know each 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 culture is different and recognizing that even for me being a lighter complexion having um having different experiences and not and mm-hmm. you know not experiencing the same things that some of my darker skin tone brothers and sisters have have experienced you know knowing that there'll be a different experience for my daughters who have darker skin tone than i do mm-hmm. um you know and just you know just recognizing that and owning that yeah. and sitting yeah. with it and you know processing it with with our daughters mm-hmm. yeah Sorry, Travis, yeah. we, we went all the way in. No, <laughs> no. Yeah. No, this is great. I mean, and, and part of this is, I, mm. I think it's a conversation that needs to be had for all, right? And there's so many questions I want to ask. Um, I think one I didn't think of, and maybe we could talk a little bit about that, is that kind of, even within your family, the genetics, right? That, mm. And you mentioned it too, with just dark, more darker skin versus, you know, you're mm. comparing yourself, Hector, like, hey, even my, the skin tone does matter as far as shade, you know, you're saying darker you go, like it's a different experience. Yeah, there's, a level so, of, there's a level of privilege that comes with every shade lighter of skin that you have. And I'm, I'm, mm-hmm. I'm aware of that because I'm yeah. lighter. There's, you know, in America, there is more privilege that comes with that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And and so with that, within your family, yeah. you mentioned that even your daughters, which is genetics, right? It's just mm-hmm. not like you can control that. Mm-hmm. Um, there's some different shades and you've even noticed there, you know, you even said they're darker than you are and you're, there's more worry that, Hey, I have, I'm aware that I have a little lighter skin. Therefore, mm-hmm. maybe my experience has been different. And so my daughters though. So I'm wondering what, what is that like for you? Like, how do you have the conversation? Like you even mentioned like, Hey, my daughter's hair, swirl pattern, you know, curl patterns this way, this way, it's both beautiful and unique. It's just different. Yeah. But you, you were even kind of alluding. So you can, can you speak more to that experience within yeah. even your family? Yeah, I think it's cool. Um, you know, we, we we still have so far to go, but we have come a long way. And I'm really kind of encouraged that today, you know, on our bookshelf, we have many kids books, you know, that are specifically mm-hmm. addressing that that issue. Um, mm. I don't want to butcher the titles right now because I know I'm going to forget them all. But <laughs> books that, you know, specifically talk about different hair patterns, you know, a whole, yeah. whole mm-hmm. book just dedicated to affirming different hair patterns and whole books you know, kids books, you know, for, for little black girls, you know, affirming different shades of skin and, Mm. um, comparing them and talking about them in in the context of, of, you know, beautiful imagery rather than, um, you know, negative imagery that they'll, that they might see in the media. Um, so, uh, that's, that's what I would say, you know, aside from just intentionally as parents, affirming their worth and affirming who they are and their uniqueness that they have. We also have resources like kids books mm. that, um, that, that do that, you know, alongside us. Mm. And what about you, Marquez? Or, I mean, is that ex- an experience you've had even within your family, like Hector's? Yeah, not, not yet, actually. Okay. I, I haven't, you know, Hector has way more kids than I do, you know, so he has to. Yes, he does, yes. right? <laughs> way more, way, way more kids. There's a, there's a loaded way. So what, what, what do you mean behind the way more? <laughs> Tell me more. No, we have, this is like. We have these, we have these date nights that we switch on and off. That there's uh, every, every Friday, Marque and I and our, our families, you know, we, yes. we babysit for us. Uh-huh. And Marque and Carmen definitely have the short end of the stick. They, you know, on Friday nights that we watch, you know, they bring their two kids over. And on the Fridays that we go oh, out, man. we it's bring like, all oh. four of our kids. <laughs> man, to and house. it's great, too. We love it. We have so much fun. We so have that, so much fun. That was the weight behind the way more. <laughs> it's like, oh, man, this is this is intense. 
that's funny. Because one thing I love about Hector's kids is like they have they all have like big personalities, you know, and and, and it's amazing. Like it, yeah, like they're three years old, but they are like really like ten in a three year old <laughs> body. <laughs> right. So that sounds like way more work. <laughs> no, but it's it's great right. though. I, I I love it. The conversations we have is amazing. So, uh, but but yeah, to that point though, I like I haven't navigated that yet, so I can't mm. really speak to that, sure. but. But I, I know for sure that's a real thing that Hector's okay. talking talking about. So, yeah. yeah. Well, it's almost, yeah, and I can't, uh, you tell me, I guess, Hector, with that, how I would think could be another just, I'm trying to think of myself in that situation, and this may not be how you feel, but feeling like, okay, I'm dealing with this from the, the culture I'm in and dealing with just that layer. And now, gosh, now it's happening in my family. I'm almost like, yeah. why? Like, why? Yeah. Why? why? Like, why are they, like, why are they at each other? Like when they're supposed to be family? I mean, is that, mm. is that, I don't know if well, that's it's, a... It's a historical thing. I mean, if you look back to slavery um, in the black community, you know, what what historians would call the house slaves, people who who maybe were mixed with the slave owner, you know, maybe it was mm-hmm. a scenario where the slave owner raped one of the slave women. And, you know, now you have, you know, people with lighter complexions. They were the ones that in general would be allowed into the into the plantation, into the home, Mm -hmm. um, would be the ones with more privilege, gained more access. And that just as a result would create this tension between the darker complexion people out on the field or out, you know, on the plantation with these people who had the privilege inside the house. So, you know, it's a historical thing, just this tension, even within the black culture, you know, of, 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 of comparison of, Mm -hmm. of, you know, level of privilege and, and, me and Jessica, when we talked before we had kids, I don't think I've ever even shared this with you, Marque, but like before we started having kids, um, when we found out we were having twins, um, we were we were terrified um, hmm. at the possibility of having two girls. We 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 were hoping for a boy and a girl, um, and the second option would be two boys, um, but the thought of having two girls was scary to us. Because we mm. knew that the comparison game was a potential, um, yeah. and um, we had two two twins, two girls, you know, for twins, and after that we had two more girls. So it's kind of it's kind of funny, but um, re- realizing that that even even within the household, you know, knowing the history of it, um, you know, it's a very very real thing. So we're trying to actively with the things I to- talked about before, trying to counter um, counter that for sure. What do you think the biggest or one of the big fears as men with raising daughters? What's the fear within that? And then what's the fear within the, the larger culture of within the U.S. here currently? Well, I could just speak to the fear that I carry daily in this season is just the idea of that my daughter won't be accepted, you know, and them not being accepted for who they are, how they're wired, um, their giftedness, their uniqueness, Um so them going out into the world, experiencing the world, how I experienced it, you know, um, me being an African-American black father in this world, just I, I didn't, they having the same skin color as me. Uh, just, I think I just, it takes me back to, you know, seven-year-old Mark A mm-hmm. and things I had to navigate, you know, and being her, being their father and being their protector. Um, that's the thing that I'm just like most fearful of because I mm-hmm. just know I'm not going to be able to protect them from everything. Mm -hmm. And that's something that just grieves me and something that hurts my heart um, because they're going to walk into this world and experience some things that they're going to have to experience. Mm -hmm. Um, And how do you cope with that? uh, I was going to say something funny, but I'm not going to say it. Uh, (laughs) You can't just... (laughs) 
<laughs> you're, already, you're already there now. I mean, might as well. And then we'll I know, dang, I messed it up. I should have just kept it serious. Uh, you know, I'm not. Yeah, me and me and Hector have this inside joke. You know, we, we you know we have our little whiskey every once in a while and just yeah, kind of you know how we cope. De- that's how we cope and decompress. <laughs> you know, that's good. Don't um, worry, disclaimer is going to go right, right, here, right. Put the the disc- yeah, please it's, put that there. It's a nice um, spot for it. So it's going to go right across the screen. Yeah, yeah. As our friend Chase usually says, "Don't worry, we're just being serious." No, that's good. <laughs> <laughs> no, we're kidding. Yeah. Yeah. Um. I mean, but also having having a brother like Hector in my life, man, is is a way I cope, you know, and just to, to have somebody in community with me in the same season of life with me just to carry the weight with, you know, like yeah. I'm like me acknowledging I'm not carrying this by myself. Like mm-hmm. whenever I feel those pressures and those worries and anxieties yeah. and fears, I can call him, which I do all the time mm-hmm. and and allow him to speak life into me and to uh, encourage me and to uh, and to just carry it. You know, so I think mm. more seriously, that has been a huge blessing to me mm. more than anything else. Talk about Marquette too, though. You, you're you're really big on on hobbies and and self care. I mean, yeah. How, how yeah. do you? I mean, I, I know that those are ways that you cope as well, right? Yeah, yeah. So definitely, like I'm, I'm I pride myself in self care and taking care of myself, just because I, I I some. It was a father that told me um, the, the best thing that a father can do is is present a healthier version of themselves. Um, that's the best thing you can do for your for your family is to present um, a healthier version of yourself. So I'm always posturing myself to 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 rest, to breathe, um, yeah. whether it's meditating, whether it's mm-hmm. um, flying kites on the beach. That's something I do. Uh, Travis, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I have like all the different types of kites. Really? So uh, you're sport- like a kite aficionado. Oh, oh yeah, man. Sports wow. kites, all the things, you know, like I, I love kites. Um, I'm a vinyl guy. I have like, I collect vinyl and that's something that I just, I love just sitting listen, listen to music with my, mm. uh, my, my little cup of whiskey, you know, not, not too much mm. Travis. Uh <laughs> also <laughs> RC cars. I, I talked to Hector about my RC cars I've just gotten okay. into like within the last six six months. So I so I go sure down to the a, Rose Bowl. That's and, a money pit, right? No. Yeah, man. Yeah. <laughs> In a good way. <laughs> <laughs> but no, those are some some of the yeah. ways I decompress and just kind of yeah. breathe and yeah, man. Yeah. So those are like really healthy, like really healthy distractions, healthy outlets. In those spaces when you are doing some of those activities, is that also where you think and process that stuff? Or is it more of a, I'm just focusing on this and taking a break. And then I process some of this stuff. Like I reach out to my buddy Hector and we talk and like that relational, you know, coping of like, hey, we talk and get real with each other and support each other. Right. Or in those spaces, are you also kind of like mulling stuff over and, and addressing those things? Sure. It's more so for me a break because I've learned for me, I need the... Because I, I carry so much pressure and I put a lot of pressure on myself to show mm-hmm. up for people well, so I just need a, a second just to just to breathe and just to not think about anything, mm-hmm. um, and just to be present in that moment with whatever I'm doing in that moment. So, yeah, mm-hmm. uh, yeah that's what it is for me. And what about you, uh, Hector? A fear that you face as a dad now, raising daughters, African American daughters. What is one of the bigger fears that you wrestle with? I, I fear that. Uh, you know, my daughters would lack opportunity um, mm. in that, you know, knowing the gifting they have, knowing the, the the strength they have, knowing all the potential they have, the thought of them not being given an opportunity because of whether it's an unconscious bias or, a, um, 
you know, conscious bias, um, prejudice, or, you know, outright racism, that they would be denied an opportunity. Um, mm. yeah. That's, um, yeah, that, that's, that's, a big, that's a big fear of mine. And how do you cope with that? I, it's a good question. I, I, if I could, just so I could be organized, I, because I um, have a history of not coping well, I, I actually kind of put, put some things down. And if it's okay, I, can I just like read through some of the things real quick? Oh, absolutely. So yeah. um, I, I, wa- I needed to first identify the ways I um, uh, cope badly and i i've defined them mm. in two two different ways like wow. there's a difference between restoration and relief um coping negatively mm. is the idea of relief just seeking like i don't want to yeah. do with this versus i think an appropriate way to cope is kind of finding restoration or the difference between mm. thriving and surviving you know yeah um yeah. trying to trying to thrive rather than than just survive for me kind of the negative ways for me um alcohol um, negative uh, uh, streaming shows that are just kind of like mindless types of shows, uh, you know, something that I do. <laughs> sweets outside of meals, like just like, you know, mm. eating sweets just to just, you know, just to cope. Um, yeah. Social media, man, social media, TikTok especially is like a black hole for me, you know. Um, shopping mm. online um, mm. and, um, you know, sometimes online games will just, you know, suck time. So recognizing those, but then replacing them with some healthy things. So to mm. answer the question, it's a long way to get there. The positive ways I, I cope are um, um, music. Um, just being able to sit down at yeah. the piano and sing is 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 really really life giving for me. Um, taking walks outside and just being outside in general. Mm. Um, listening to audiobooks that you know that are that are feeding feeding me knowledge and wisdom and things like that. Um, meaningful podcasts, and I say meaningful podcasts because there's a lot of. Uh, um, not uh, life-giving <laughs> podcasts out there that are just kind of waste of time. Um, listening to music, you know, I forget, you know, as a musician that, you know, even just listening to music, like what Marquez yeah. said, you know, yeah. man, mm-hmm. if you played the right song, it's like, oh man, it can just, you know, align you right back mm-hmm. up. Um, reading and actually gardening. I, I enjoy gardening in my backyard. Mm. So those are some of the ways Gosh. I, I cope. I and I, I appreciate that vulnerability and honesty, Hector, and, and with you know some of the ways in which maybe I cope not so well unhealthily and and as a way of survival. And I think we all go into survival mode, right? And those things do serve a purpose, yeah. Right? Mm-hmm. Even even mm-hmm. like binge watching Netflix, it's it's serving a purpose, right? It's the mm-hmm. relief, and and we're wired. Part of our wiring as humans, right, is to is to survive, and so we go into these defense mechanisms to survive. And in that short term. Obviously, certain things, yes, are very negative. Like if in a short term, if I go shoot a heroin, it's very right. different than in, in the short term. I watch, you know, the Great British Baking Show, sure, right. which I love, by the way. And, and the new season just came out. Nice. Um, if you if you want if you like food, it just yeah. just it's a great show, and they're so nice to each other. It's like it's so different than American like shows because American shows are just everyone's so mean to each other. Yeah, right? yeah. But everyone's like loving and hugging and like, I don't know if you've seen it. It's maybe it's a white thing, but it's. No, I've got to check it out. It's great. It's so it's these cooking competitions. It's called Great British Baking. And they have like their ninth season and it's been running and it's awesome. It's, it's these, you know, home bakers that come anyway, but I'm, I'm digressing, but it is a great show. Um, anyway, all to say that those serve a purpose. They serve a purpose of survival and survival is a needed thing. And so I, I want to give you some credit, Hector, for sharing those things because some of those things, if taken in balance, aren't necessarily, you said, a negative. 
Right. He said these are negative ways, and they can be, right? If, right. if that's all you did, yeah. just distraction, just avoidance, just like taking mm-hmm. a break, sure. then that those those ways of survival often then will become create negative outcomes because then you're not addressing or dealing with whatever it is that those things are serving a purpose to take a break from. Sure. Yeah. Right. So I, I appreciate the list of like, hey, man, I, I relate to that some of that list. Absolutely. Like, do I sometimes go and get some dark chocolate? Mm. What just mindlessly? Yeah. Do I sometimes watch Netflix yeah. mindlessly? Yes. And let me clar- and let me um, clarify. Let me so. clarify for the listeners too, because I'm really glad. I'm really glad you called me out on that because it's mm-hmm. it's important and it's not. It, you know, yeah, it's not a bad thing to you know, mm-hmm. you know, watch a Netflix show or anything like that. I think to clarify, like for me, my personality. Like, I'll give you an example. I started. Um, watching the show called The Wire again. I don't know if you guys okay. have seen it. Mm-hmm. It's it's the third time I'm watching through it. For me, there's a fine line. <laughs> like it's hard for me to like watch one episode and create a boundary for myself to like mm. turn off. Especially if I'm in an unhealthy place. And I don't know. Maybe some of your listeners will resonate with this. But if if I'm not at my best, those things that are neutral and not not a bad thing. Like what you said, you know, British baking show or, you know, Netflix or, you know, whatever those things, <laughs> yeah. those things that aren't in and of themselves bad things for me become bad things because mm. I have issues with, with, with boundaries sometimes saying like, okay. nope, that's the last show. Turn it off. Like, yeah, <laughs> right. Uh, for me, you know, using those things as coping mechanisms turn into negative things. And that's good. The awareness, right. Of knowing yourself and knowing your own areas where, you have kind of weaknesses, not not yeah. negative weaknesses, but like, hey, I I tend to not be so strong in these areas, yeah, and I know sure. right. these right. are my slip, these are my like slippery points. Yeah. Where yeah. if I start to go down this path, I really need to be mindfully aware of where I'm at because I I can't easily go, and we all have those. We all have those kind of slippery slopes. No matter who you are, we myself included, we all got slippery slopes. And so I love that having that mindful awareness of okay, yes, these things aren't inherently evil or negative, but I need to be aware because of my personality to be very mindful of this when I'm here, especially if I'm in a bad place. And I think that's the key is like, what are you intending this to do? I guess, mm. what's the intention behind it? Yeah, mm. yeah, yeah. Why are you going towards that's this using whatever it is you're using? Yeah. What's the motivation and the underlying subconscious intention as to why you're going towards this? Yeah, mm. that's good. And I have to ask myself, even as a therapist, that question. Because I could get in my automatic pilot kind of survival mode too. Just, you know, like I could emotionally turn off and I could, I do. I have, to, and it's a daily practice of wait, okay, you know, I have a little stress and maybe I watched too much Netflix yeah. this week rather than, and not to beat myself up, but okay, I need to spend some time journaling or writing or processing or talking to my wife, talking to a buddy because yeah. maybe I've been doing a little bit, I've been kind of veering a little bit too much on disconnection. Yeah. Hmm withdrawing for what i'm tired you know i'm tired and i'm right. stressed and so because of that my energy levels are lower and so i kind of do the easier thing mm-hmm. right because it's less work to just put on a show than to sit there and process what's really going on for me or talk with a friend and process and so i i, I found it's about balance i don't know if what you guys think about That's that good. you know balance yeah. of, of using these kind of healthy distractions yeah um being aware of what they do and also knowing that sometimes you're not using them to distract, you're using them because there is entertainment. Like, hey, 
this is actually entertaining for me. I'm yeah. not actually, it's not a distraction right now. It's like, I enjoy watching Great British Baking Show because I like the food. It's so right now it's not a distraction because I'm not in a bad place. Right. So it's the awareness of what place am I in when right. I go into this, right? <laughs> right? Do, yeah. What do you guys think about that balance and being that aware? What do you guys think? Can you speak yeah, to I, I think you're spot on. I mean, for me, I'm a little different just on the idea of like, we're, we're also in a pandemic, you know, where I, yeah. I found myself giving myself extra grace and allowing myself to have those those spaces just because I know like, hey, what I'm doing right now is really hard and I, I'm i just trying to survive. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, like I'm I'm just trying to get by. I have a, at the time, I had a seven-year-old and a four-year-old in homeschool uh, at yeah. the same time where we have to be a second, mm. a, a first grade teacher and a pre-K teacher. Wow. Um, as well as do, doing two full-time jobs, you know, with yeah. my wife and me. And yeah. so- I actually leaned more into <laughs> maybe yeah. some unhealthy patterns just to like, hey, if I need some candy right now, I'm going to take it just to, get, you know, um, yeah, yeah, yeah. just because I'm trying to survive in this thing. You know, me and Hector mm-hmm. have had those yeah. conversations, yeah. Yeah. Uh, but I know I'm going to have to have therapy even after the pandemic. Yeah. <laughs> but but there's a different, and there's two things there. One, what what is your candy bar of choice? I'm just curious. <laughs> hey, actually, and yeah, I love Reese's. Uh, in this season, you know, okay. like it's become the pieces, my new the pieces or the Reese's cups, the Reese's cups. Okay. But the trick is you got to put it in the freezer for like 10 minutes. Okay. Right. Travis, it has oh, to yeah. be cold. You know, oh, you cannot gosh. have room it's temperature. So right. Yeah. Man. temperature Reese's are horrible. Right. You're like, like this is, it just, yeah, man. So I might grab some today. Weird. Yeah. That's a, <laughs> so, okay. I can relate to you. So I do the healthy version, which is actually not healthy, but in my mind, I tricked myself. So Trader okay. Joe's, Trader Joe's sells a container that's like, I don't the know. Peanut butter cups. Yes. They're dark chocolate. Yes. And because they're dark chocolate, I tell myself they're dark. <laughs> there's antioxidants. It's dark chocolate. That's it's amazing. As, so and as, and he's, as he's coping with the peanut butter cups, he's like, no, yeah. these right. are healthy. These are right. healthy. I tell myself, no, I, these, I'm getting my antioxidants for the day. Go. I'm good. I love that. And it's, it's balancing out. So no, those are my guilty yeah. pleasure. And I put them in the fridge because there's something about it, man. It, it's I learned that trick. I'm like, I never go back because when they're in the just room temperature, it's just, mm. it doesn't, it's, it, yeah, it, it's melt. It doesn't like it. It melts yeah. too fast. It doesn't yeah. the texture. So I guess Hector, you need to. We need to give Hector both <laughs> and give it and say, put them in your fridge, and we'll have a taste <laughs> test. So I, I'm just curious. That's that's funny. Yeah, man. Yeah. And, but something else you said, which is spot on, is you also know. So yes, you do that, and you know, and you have grace. Like, and that's good to have. You know, be kind to yourself, and because we're often our worst critic, we often mm-hmm. are our worst bully internally. Mm-hmm. You know, we have that bully voice that kind of beats ourselves up more than we would to someone we love. Like, if we talk to our daughters or our kids, if they had a similar experience, we often wouldn't be as critical with them as we are with ourselves. Yeah, and so it's often trying to find that kinder, supportive, loving voice for ourselves. Yeah. Right. But what you said was, I know that I'm going to therapy. Mm. I know that I talk to Hector and get real. So you, mm. you, you already have the balance built in. Mm. Oh, I, I didn't even see it that way. Wow. Right? Yeah. It's already there. So you already know that, okay, I know I do this, but I also know that I talk to my therapist. I also know I talk mm. to Hector about the real stuff. I also know that I do. So there's, there's the balance. It's, it's there. Yeah. Cause you go and yeah. reflect back. You're reflecting back. Yeah. That was, you know, maybe I had, 
maybe too many Reese's um, <laughs> because I'm surviving. So the awareness is there and you're like, okay, I'm mm. working on being more mindful of it because I'm, I'm processing it. You're not just sitting with the Reese's and, you know, buckets and buckets of them. Maybe you are, but... Uh, <laughs> no, I'm not. I'm not. At, your, at your worst. <laughs> it's just a, a Costco pallet full of Reese's. Right. right. It's like, I uh, got my uh. fill for the year. <laughs> just a shipping container of Reese's. Um, <laughs> but we, and I think that's good to speak because I think as men, and, and you even said this, Hector, is alcohol. I think it's a big way men cope, I think. I mean, men yeah. statistically tend to cope with alcohol as a negative coping. I mean, mm. you could, there's ways to drink alcohol without it being super you know, negative, obviously. And totally. I, But for some men and women, it's, they can't. They can't have even one drink. You know, They can't yeah. contain themselves. Yeah. It becomes a very quick slippery slope because of mm. the effects. And yeah, I'm glad you spoke to that because I think a lot of men listening can probably relate to that. It's like, oh yeah, I had just because I just wanted to check out. And not to, there's no shame or guilt behind it. For sure. But it's more of an awareness of, well, okay, why am I pouring my second, third, fourth, fifth drink? Yeah. What is this? And building upon the awareness, not saying you're doing that, but just other guys listening like, hey man, if you're doing that, that's all right, but let's build the awareness and let's, let's work on what do you, what, what are you really needing in that moment? Like what's the yeah. need? Yeah. You know, you're, you're seeking comfort mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. in this and okay, what are you seeking comfort from yeah. and asking the harder questions? I'm glad, I'm glad you spoke to that. Like, um, you know, give it, giving clarity to that. I think, you know, for your listeners, I hope I didn't come across when I gave my list that like. I had all my stuff together. That's that's mm -hmm. that's what I strive for would have been my pain. But the reality is, you know, much different. You know, I'm mm -hmm. I'm in this trying to figure it out, you know. Mm. Um, yeah. So I always had to tell us people, yes, I'm a therapist. I have I have, you know, letters behind my name. But that doesn't mean I don't have the same struggles. Doesn't mean I don't I, I could struggle with similar negative coping. Doesn't mean that I don't check out. Doesn't I, I have all those things. Hmm. All those things affect me. Travis, what's a question to, I'm just curious, like, and I know you probably know the answer as a therapist, what, what are some ways to find those healthy coping mechanisms? Um, or, you know, what are some maybe general coping oh. mechanisms that, you know, people sure. should maybe embrace? That's a great question. I think, um, and I take this from my old supervisor back in the day, kind of an acronym he gave me. He said PMS, so not <laughs> premenstrual cycle. <laughs> <laughs> so just for pre yeah, it's not that. Um, and I have to clarify this with people. And when I work with women too, I'm like, I say PMS, I'm like, but not that, not, not what you're thinking. <laughs> it's just an easy way to remember it. Um, but it's, it's, yes, it's I will not forget that person, mind, substance. Okay. Mm. Mm. So the way we're wired and it's great, especially when you have kids, because it makes more sense. So you're, when your kids get hurt, they're sad, they're upset. What's the, at least when they're younger, maybe when they get older, they might kind of, close the door and I don't want to talk to you, but yeah. when they're younger, what, what's, what's their initial reaction? Hmm. What are they looking for? Um, they're looking for comfort. From who? Where they, where they, parents. did you teach your daughter to do that? No, mm -mm. no, no. I didn't teach my boys either. Right. I didn't have to, I didn't teach them to come crying to me and want to be held. And I didn't teach them that. It's naturally built into our wiring that we seek out safe connection. Hmm. And so that's our primary, that's the person. That's our primary way of navigating distressing situations is to seek out comfort from another human being that we feel safe with. Hmm. So the caveat though, is depending upon how we we're raised and depending upon how our parents responded to us for better or for worse is, you know, how did they respond to us in general? Not, not, not saying yeah. the one off because no parent's perfect, but in general, how did they respond to us when we were in some type of emotional mental distress? Mm-hmm. 
were they responsive? Did they did they comfort us? Did they hold us? Did they soothe us? Or, you know, for the majority of the time, like again, majority, because parents aren't perfect. We have our moments when we might, yeah. raise, you know, but I'm talking majority of the time. Or did the majority of the time, did they negate our feelings? Did they get angry with our feelings? Did they, were they even around? Like, mm. so we learn as children to adapt to our environment to survive when we're in distress. So we, mm. we learn that people, we either learn that, hey, people are safe for the most part, that for the most part, I can turn to people and, and, and feel validated and comforted and, and work through things. And that's our primary source. Or we learn that typically, you know, people are either not there for us mm. or not safe. And so mm. we over rely on kind of an over, like an unhealthy independence. Okay. Um, and then we start turning to other things. To, to soothe. Um, and we do that naturally anyway. We start to find other ways of kind of soothing by ourselves, but within the balance of also seeking out authentic relationship with our primary caregiver. And then eventually, to, you know, as we get older with friends or with yeah. the spouse, we learn that, oh, I can do this. But a lot of a lot of us don't have the experience. That's the primary way, person. So if, if at the end of the day, what we're really wired for biologically is other people, other safe people. So that's the, that's mm. the first most effective way of dealing as far as a coping style is within relationship with another human being that's to good. be known, to be seen for who we are and accepted. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Cause we're all looking for acceptance just with us. Cause often we, often we fear, well, if people know this about me or if they knew this, I wouldn't be, I'd be rejected. They wouldn't want me. Yeah. They wouldn't love me. Right. That, yeah. that shame comes in. So that's the first. And then the second two way mind is kind of your own way of coping, like okay. journaling, meditation, Hmm. Uh, writing, processing, right? It, it's it's kind of engaging the problem, but by yourself. Yeah. Okay. So not distracting, but you're still engaging it and whatever yeah. that might be. And there's so many ways to do that. Sure. And the third way is distraction. So when I say distraction or sub, sorry, substance, and when I say substance, the reason why he said, and I say substance is not that necessarily substance is a negative because there are good substances. Mm-hmm. Hmm. It goes to how we use them and what they and the purpose they serve because there are plenty of unhealthy substances that right. we use. Right. And what happens, so think of that as a tier. So PMS, so person, mind, substance. So often though, we have it like this, Um, where our first go-to is a substance to cope. We rarely use our mind and often we never turn to people. We tend to flip it where we tend to distract, use substances to disengage from the world. Um, And there's various reasons as to why we do that. And often when people come to therapy, when they see me, that tends to be their primary way of coping is mm-hmm. through the use of some use some plethora of substances, some healthy, some unhealthy. But what they're trying to do is navigate their own emotional pain and distress. But mm-hmm. they don't know how to talk to people. And often when I get to hear their story, there's reasons mm-hmm. as to why they don't talk to people. And often part of their healing process is grieving and healing from the past, from their parents, from yeah. past hurts and yeah. wounds, and yeah. starting to then retrain them to say, we need to yeah. flip that yeah. and start to seek out healthy, because I am essentially that healthy, safe connection. Yeah. So mm. sorry to spoil for everybody, but that's the therapist trick is that we are that safe person that you, for a lot of people, when they say, I don't talk to anybody about this, mm. we are the first person that we, they feel safe enough to actually show, show themselves, so to speak. Wow. Wow. Travis. Wow. Man. That was you, huge. You know what? You should, <laughs> you should start, wow. you should start a podcast for therapy uh, for dads. You oh, should, no. <laughs> <laughs> Yo, that was amazing, bro. I'm so glad I asked that question. That was really good. Dang. Okay. I'm glad it was a sufficient Hector, answer. That was so good. Yeah. That was good. I was like, wait, where's he going with this? Right. Um, yeah. So that that's something. Wow. And that's something to think of. Yeah. So I don't know. EMS. I'm never going to forget that. That's good. Yeah. Man. Yeah. 
it's it's interesting when you think of it. You're like, yeah, you're right. You learn, and and I had I learned that in my own therapy too. That you know, I did therapy before I became a therapist, and you know, my parents divorced, and mm. I had to deal with my whole emotions behind it, and my distractions, and what I was doing, and said, you know, I need to do something different, and started looking at my behavior and realizing why I do what I do, and started to seek out healthier connection and, and learn. And so, so is a therapist, um, um, is it? As a therapist, would you say it's sufficient to kind of keep that therapist as that primary um, personal connection? Or is a therapist always kind of trying to encourage their patient mm-hmm. to go and find other interpersonal connections and relationships? I just question, I'll get my son and then I'll ask a final question because I hear him saying data. I think initially I, I am that person. And so it's kind of like mm-hmm. a retraining. It's a healing process to then give them the confidence and knowing that people can be safe. Uh, hmm. You just have to find the right person. And so my goal is always to say, you need, I can't, I am, I am not sufficient. Because at the end of the day, you, to rely on me solely is not enough. Hmm. Wow. Try so you need to find those relationships in your community, within your family. And if it's not your blood family, that's a whole other conversation. There's plenty of people's blood family that is so toxic and so unhealthy. that yeah. I'm like, we need to like have boundaries with them and probably not, you know, if you keep going to the same person every single time for years and years and years, and you keep getting harmed by them yeah. over and over and over and over and over again, this whole notion that, you know, blood is thicker than water and then like, oh, it's my family. I'm like, okay, if it was your friend, so take family out. If this person was your friend, would you still be in relationship with them? And when I find, when those types of relationships are existent, 10 times out of 10, they're like, no, I would never be in relationship with them. I'm like, okay, mm. so. <laughs> mm. Wow. Just because they're family doesn't mean that you need to keep going back to them because they're harmful, toxic people. Wow. So we need to also have boundaries with them and that's okay. Wow. And so we need to trade that in for healthy relationships because yeah. those are people that are life-giving and that becomes your new family. It's not yeah. biology, yeah. but the hope is that they are. So I would say, you know, I don't, I'm going to go get them and then I'll, I'll finish. But cool. um, anyway, we're back. Cool, man. That's good. PMS. Yeah, I'd say in the end, guys, it's, it's we want relationship. Um, and you guys are doing mm. it. You guys, mm. I mean, already you guys are, Think about that. You're not blood family, but you're finding authentic. You're dealing and finding, seeking comfort in a, I, we call it, it's a healthy interdependence. Mm. Mm. So, you know, that the term codependency, mm-hmm. uh, I don't like that term. I, I think a more accurate way to say it, this is my perspective, is an unhealthy dependence. Mm. Mm. Got it. Mm. Versus a healthy dependence, healthy interdependence. So in a good friendship you know, a good, you know, partnership, good marriage, good whatever is a healthy interdependence. So it's like kids. So the thing about kids, the safer they feel with their primary caregiver. Yeah. Right. This is where attachment comes in. The safer a child feels, the freer they are to go explore the world. Yeah. Yeah. Because they have, because they know, they know they're safe and they have, they're secure. They know that, Oh, I feel safe. I have a home base. So I now can explore the world. It's good. Non-anxiously. Because I know, yeah, light on. <laughs> not anxious because I because I have been shown through repetition that mm. my primary caregiver or whatever is there, is present, is consistent, yeah. is safe, is secure, yeah. Yeah. and that enables me to actually be essentially independent. Yeah, but not overly independent because I still have this attachment, this healthy interdependence upon these people. So mm. it's it's the balance of the two. It's when we get out of balance is that's when things start to go awry. And again, to speak to those people that I've worked tons with is that it's often as survival that we shut our ourselves off because if things weren't safe to talk about as a kid, why in the heck would you share about it now? Hmm. Right. Why would you? Wow. You've been trained to not share. 
you've learned that it's not safe and your brain remembers this is danger. It's like, it doesn't matter if it's a bear in front of you or an angry parent who doesn't care about your feelings. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Your brain's like danger, danger, shut off, don't, you know, survive. Yeah. Yeah. And so, and I think about that, you practice that over time, years and years of that. You, so why would you ever think of opening up to someone? Yeah. Yeah. Wow. You wouldn't. Man. Right? Right. Right. And so I tell, I tell people that I'm like, Hey, the reality is you've practiced this out of survival for, you know, if they come in to see me at the, you know, 30 or 40, I'm like, you've been doing this for 40 years. Mm. So no wonder why it's so hard to try to talk to someone one time. Yeah. 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 You have 40 years of experience of this as survival. And so of course it's going to be unfamiliar. Of course it's going to be terrifying and scary and all those things because you've never done it. Like, so keep practicing. Yeah. And, and I'm here, you know, Mm. so. In this moment, I, you know, when you walked away to get your son, Travis, I, I told Marque, um, you know, just kind of what I was feeling exactly. that, that in this moment, I, I feel really grateful. I feel really grateful for you, Travis, for kind of allowing us the safe space to be able to, mm-hmm. to, to be accepted, you know, and to be heard, you know, yeah. and a, a, as dads, I appreciate that. But I especially appreciate Marque and, mm. you know, the friendship we've, um, we've developed and, you know, him being nothing but accepting you know what you're talking mm-hmm. about and as i'm hearing you talk about it i'm feeling the weight of what you're describing and mm. i i feel really lucky because i feel i feel i have that you know mm-hmm. in Marque, yeah. and you know and of course some other people but our show her best dad ever you know is kind of built on that foundation and we want mm. to extend an invitation you know to all other girl dads too to to let them know that community is important you know in essence mm. right Marque? i mean yeah. that's what we're wanting to communicate with our podcast is is um is community you know dads can't yeah. do this alone you know right you, you need community which is what i know you're 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 promoting to travis so mm-hmm. i'm just i feel really lucky to be able to you know have you guys and guys like you in my life oh man that's a beautiful yeah. actor <laughs> yeah i appreciate that yeah man um yeah I, I really that's very kind words hector and i appreciate you guys i mean to do this and to talk and create connections and part of my heart has been with the show is to speaking we were talking about kind of cultural differences in african-american latinx asian-american mm-hmm. whatever you know yeah. white jewish doesn't matter part of my big heart is to create a community of dads where we're we're getting ahead of the politicians mm. yeah mm-hmm. not waiting for them to fix our world right mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. right because i'm tired of waiting for them <laughs> like, yeah. Yeah. yeah what if what you know what if we heal small communities out and make yeah. the changes that way and heal of like, Hey, we're all dads. That's what unites us. And we have different experiences. Yeah. How do we learn from each other? Yeah. How do we hear each other? Yeah. Mm. Um, how do we understand each other's experiences and honor that and help each other and support each other in these different places and spaces. And that's part of why I yeah. do what I do is to wanting to help that as well. And maybe, you know, if I can bridge some gaps across cultures and age, all those things. Yeah. So I love it. That's a big thing. So I, I appreciate you both. And, um, yeah, I hear, I hear kids in the background. So, <laughs> stop it, Dada. What? Excuse me. Can you say hi? By the way, can you say hi? Hi, hi. Can you say morning? Morning. So cute. Thanks, Travis. This is great. Yeah, yeah. I blessings to you guys, and um, I, I I really do want another episode of. <laughs> Because <laughs> there's some other questions I didn't get to ask that I really wanted to ask. And just this was so rich and yeah, uh, it's so yeah. fun. Oh, don't touch that. No, 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 no. That'll change everything on the audio <laughs> buttons. He's all trying. So blessings to you guys and your families and, you know, all the work you guys are doing and 
And as again, Thanks, people, Travis. guys are listening. If you, if you are girl dad and want another great show, um, please go to her best at ever. And I'm going to link, um, I'm going to link your show and everything in the, in the pod notes and everything. So people could find you guys. And it's again, I, I am not a girl dad. I'm going to reiterate this again. I've listened to the show numerous times and I learned from it just to hear mm. these experiences at dad. Like yeah. it's, it's great. Like there's so much wisdom mm. and everything. So, um, Thank you. You guys are you guys are awesome. Thank you, Hector Merkay, for everything you do, and, and we'll talk soon. Cool. Awesome. Thanks, Thanks for having us. Peace. Bye, guys. Thanks for joining and listening today. Please leave a comment and review the show. Dads are tough, but not tough enough to do this fatherhood thing alone. <laughs>